Welcome to Mending Fences, a podcast about effective ways to communicate and live with differences. I'm Patrice Bremner. And I'm Jen Hawthorne. We're both family law mediators and collaborative law attorneys, but our conversations go well beyond family law. We explore the personal, interpersonal, legal, and cultural impact of conflict. Welcome back to Mending Fences. This is Patrice Bremner, and I'm here today again with Jen Hawthorne. And we're going to be talking about things. We've made a list, actually, five things to be aware of as you're considering mediation as a dispute resolution process. So they're the things that five things that we think are really important for people to consider when they're looking at this. And we'll talk about it in the context of divorce specifically, but this, a lot of this would apply to any, I think any mediation of a dispute that will resolve a legal conflict. Yes, I think so. I think there's only one that might apply more specifically in the context of divorce, and we'll point that out when we get there. Yeah, I agree. I was just going to tell our listeners, if you are not sure what we're talking about when we're talking about mediation, go back and listen to some of our older podcasts, because we have at least one where we're specifically, it's titled something like, what is mediation? Or I think it's how mediation mediation. works. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, how mediation Um, works. It was like maybe our second episode. Yeah. So this one ignores, you know, what is mediation and we're jumping right into more specifics about the process. Right. So So, this is like, if you're thinking about, if you're thinking about mediation and you're reaching out to mediators to decide who you might want to work with, you're looking into this as a process choice. These are things that you should be, you should be hearing from mediators. And when you're deciding what process might work for you and your spouse, in some of these cases, you're thinking about, is this something that you're going to be able to handle? The first thing on our list is the pace of mediation. You know, I think both Patrice and I have had a lot of of experiences where folks are coming in, and again, in the context of divorce, so a couple is coming into the mediation room and And this actually applies to collaborative too, but one person has been thinking about and processing the idea that they are going to get divorced for quite some time. They have likely emotionally settled down in that decision. And what I mean by that is they've they've reached acceptance. They're not going through those five stages of grief anymore. And that person is probably because they have been processing it for a while pretty ready to move forward with the process and might even be in a hurry to do so because it's becoming uncomfortable to stay in that old relationship for them now. A lot of times, not all the time, but many times, the other person in that relationship, and this happens regardless of how many conversations people have had in the past, can still be, I'll use the term blindsided, but you know, it comes from a place of they're just not ready They weren't expecting it. They maybe actively don't want to be divorced. And so they are still full on in those stages of grief. And therefore, their emotions are really heightened. And they might not have capacity to make good decisions. And so when we're working with folks in these out-of-court processes, like mediation, especially when you're the only professional in the room, part of the mediator's job is to balance the pace of mediation to find a pace that works for that couple 
but it's likely not going to be the pace the person who's ready to get divorced wants it to be, and it's likely not going to be the pace the person who isn't ready wants it to be. It has to be some sort of in-between, because on the one hand, for the person who's ready to get divorced, if the other person wants to stay out of court, they have to make enough progress over time so that that person who's ready to be divorced doesn't resort to litigation is an alternative because there is a a bit more of a set timeline. It's not a quick timeline in Massachusetts anyway, but there's a bit more of a timeline. And for the person who wanted to choose an out-of-court process and is ready to be done, that person might need to really work hard on developing some patience for the other person to catch up emotionally. Because one of the most difficult things that can happen in a mediation process is where folks feel like they have reached an agreement or at least one of the people feels like, okay, we made progress. We've reached an agreement on this. And then you come back to maybe it's the next mediation session. Maybe it's the last, what you anticipated being the last mediation session. And the person who wasn't ready is saying, okay, wait, I've really started thinking about this now. I'm in a different mental headspace than I was before. And I've changed my mind. I don't think this feels fair and reasonable anymore. I think I was making emotional decisions. I'm going to change my mind. Or even worse, you have a signed agreement that's been approved by the court. And then that person realizes, wait, I didn't really buy into this. That was the me that was going through a crisis and trauma. This isn't what rational me thinks is fair and reasonable. It's time to talk about modifications. And so things just don't stick if you're not moving at a proper pace. Yeah, it can be really, the timing is tricky. And I, you know, I, whenever this subject comes up, I I can't help but think back to my initial mediation training and one of the trainers, and you may have had the same person and you'll recognize the quote when you hear it. What I was taught was that mediation moves at the pace of the slowest moving party. Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, that's not always literally true, but it's important to take in because it is a voluntary process. There are forms of mediation that are used in the courts and used in other jurisdictions that are not voluntary. And so they they have a different pace and a different and different consequences and, and different results. But the mediation we're talking about is a fully voluntary process. And it is something that a good mediator is going to be paying attention to, the fact that what Jen, what you're just talking about, Jen, that the slower moving party has time to kind of catch up and right. and get on, get the information that they need and be making the emotional adjustments to this reality. And it's not something that can be forced or pushed or it will necessarily be successful on an arbitrary timeline. Exactly. So yeah, pace. Pace is something I think people should be really well aware of when, because people will ask, right? In an, in an initial conversation, people will ask, how long does this take? And we're not being cute when we say, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know you yet. We don't know what the issues are. We don't know what your communication style is. We, there's so many factors that will um, impact pace and timing. So we can often say things like, you know, most of my mediations have resolved in this many number of meetings, right? Like I usually say between three and five meetings, sometimes more, sometimes fewer, but I don't know how closely those meetings are scheduled to each other. I don't know if it's, if we're meeting 
once a month, once a week, once every three months. Sometimes there are long breaks between meetings because people need to gather information or just adjust. Yep, exactly. And so that leads us right to number two, that mediation requires a full disclosure and complete transparency. Both the full disclosure is obviously with each other and with the mediator, if you want the mediator to have all the information to help you have this conversation. And complete transparency, from my perspective, means that you're being transparent with each other and you're allowing the mediator to be transparent with both of you, even if there are some separate conversations happening, so that everybody has all of the information relevant to the discussion that we're having and no one's holding information in secret. And that, in in the work that we do, often involves um, financial information. It might be other information, but it's often specifically financial information. And I think sometimes people will come into mediation thinking, well, if we keep it out of court, we won't have to disclose as much. Chances are you do. You do have to disclose it all. And the sooner, the better. Right. And I, I always try to distinguish for folks, disclosure does not mean division. And I think in the context of divorce, folks are worried that if they say, well, we both sort of agree that this stuff is non-marital, so we don't need to discuss it at all. It doesn't need to be reflected in the documents. Well, no, it still does. You just need to explain in the documents that you're both in agreement, and then we need to talk about it in terms of one of our other items on the list of what is the judge going to say about that, which we'll get to in in a minute or two. But complete transparency, I don't know about your personal take on this. Patrice, but for me, when I have clients who are asking me to keep secrets in mediation, it sort of sets off my mediator spidey sense. And in very, very limited specific situations, if someone is saying to me, I'm having a hard time having this conversation because X, Y, and Z, in that limited con- like context, I might say, yes, there's no reason that I have to be transparent about that. But in terms of someone having a separate meeting with me, for example, and not telling the other spouse or sending me emails saying, I want to talk about this at the next mediation session, but I don't want you to tell my spouse that I told you I want to talk about this. Those sort of things make my brain say like, okay, is this mediation really going to work? Do they actually trust the other person enough? And do they trust me as the mediator enough to be able to have this conversation all together in the room? Which leads to number three. Yes. The clients are misunderstanding their own role sometimes in the mediation. Right. And misunderstanding the role of the mediator. And I think it can be really hard because we, when I think about like mediation and the role of the mediator and the role of the participants in the mediation, it's not like other things you've done, right? It's you, you don't have a lot of experience in your life of attending something like this where there is a neutral party who's there as a facilitator, but that person is not a decision maker, not a rule maker. Um, They're not going to weigh in in a lot of ways. We're not an authority in the way that folks sometimes want to see us. Right. So we can't tell you what to do. And I think people get frustrated. And before I was a mediator and I was, you know, still just litigating, that was like the biggest complaint that I heard from people about mediation. They would come to me after a mediation had failed or had fallen apart. And they'd say, the mediator didn't do anything. She never told us what to do. Yeah, it's critical that folks entering mediation understand they are the decision maker. We can't make you do anything. We can't make your spouse do anything. 
other we, than and we can't guess what your issues are. Like we don't know right. what we don't know what your concerns are if you don't tell us. And right. so you're it's it's important when you're considering, you know, will mediation be a good process for us? Is this a good match for us to think about how comfortable are you going to be advocating for yourself? How easily can you talk about things that maybe have been difficult but need to be addressed? You know, a mediator will work with you, but if if they're not aware of issues, they're not going to they're not going to they're not on a list necessarily. Right. That the mediator is going to bring up. So Right. Especially if you have unusual facts or circumstances in your case. Like it just you have to be willing to make the mediator aware of all of the important things. And it can be really hard because that, and that brings up like what you were talking about with full disclosure, folks might not want to have that conversation with their significant other or their employer or whoever it might be sitting there. And so it's tough. Yeah. Coming into mediation, the participants are the decision makers. The participants are the advocates Yep. And they control the timing. It's all these things right. that, that we've talked about up until now falls into this. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yes. And then in terms of being a decision maker, there is one person who is actually an authority, at least in some jurisdictions like Massachusetts. The judge has the power to say no. Even if you and your spouse are in full agreement, you both believe whatever you're agreeing to be fair and reasonable under all of the circumstances, a judge can say, I don't think this is fair and reasonable. And so one of the challenges in mediation, at least in Massachusetts, I know some other jurisdictions do not have this requirement, but here, one of the things that I find frustrating sometimes as a mediator is when I am communicating to folks that there might be an issue with their agreement and their response each time is, well, this is what we agree to. The reason that's frustrating for me isn't because I don't think they should have the right to make the decision that they want to make in their, for their family, but rather because I have seen the negative result of not having a backup plan. And while they might both agree, it is going to be extremely frustrating for them if they go to court and get rejected. And I am trying to help them avoid that. And so it's frustrating when we're not hearing each other, the mediator and the clients at times. Right. So that is our number four is, you know, it it may apply in your jurisdiction or not, but the role of the judge, which, and that's somebody who's not in the mediation room, who's not seen. And I think it's really important to realize like this person, the judge, um, is going to meet you for five minutes. They're not going to know the backstory. They're not going to take the time to hear how you, why you decided what you decided. You just have to be ready. And as Jen's saying, have a backup plan if you're doing something that might be kind of novel or, you know, not in line with what judges typically see. And your mediator should be able to tell you what what the parameters are on that. So number five is even if you're mediating, you may still need to use attorneys. It's frustrating for some people. Absolutely. There might be times where you absolutely need to hear a legal opinion and your mediator is a neutral. Your mediator cannot give you a legal opinion. And that I know can be frustrating for clients because they're looking for an answer of like, well, 
okay, why is this not something that we could ask for? Or why will you not tell me if this is in my best interest? Again, it goes back to they are the decision maker. We are a neutral and we can't give that kind of opinion. So you might need attorneys in that respect. And then the second place I see a lot of folks really benefit from having attorneys is if they go to court and that agreement is rejected, I can't go to court with them and give the judge the background. I can put detail into the separation agreement as long as both people agree as to why they're coming to the decision they're coming to. But I'm not going to be there standing there with them in court, but their attorneys could be. And so particularly if they want to do something unusual, it's helpful. And so the, and the other role of attorneys that I think is really critical, really crucial is at the end of a process to review an agreement before the participants sign it so that any question about understanding the legality, understanding rights and obligations can be cleared up before you sign so that when you are in front of the judge, you can say, I've been fully informed. I had independent counsel and I know what I'm deciding. Yep. I agree. And we, all of these things, so the the five things that we've talked about, the pace and timing of mediation, the need for full disclosure and complete transparency, possible misunderstandings about the important roles that the clients, the participants are going to play as their own advocates and their own um, decision makers as number three, number four, the role of the judge, and number five, the need, the possible need for attorneys. These are things that people should be aware of before they go into mediation. They should be able to talk to prospective mediators about these things. And and they should be hearing about these things from mediators. Absolutely. 100%. I agree. So these are things we should keep talking about. Yeah. We hope this is empowering for people. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep talking. Yep.